Mine's good. Come on, Brent. Life's good. Got real close. Got hair high, right? Try and hit two thirds. Have they saved it for her? Yes, they have. Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott alongside, as always. Hello, Scott. Evening, Sean. Evening. Uh, What's up? Sometimes I have things planned and sometimes I don't. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hi. Yeah. Uh, you doing well? Um, you know, fighting through something over here. It's that time of year, I think Indeed. where the, uh, the sniffles run, run amok. So, you know, I'm doing my best. Hope I don't sound too raspy or anything, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I've been working from home doing a lot of meetings here on online so my voice might be a little worse for wear from that but uh not too bad and and yourself doing okay uh yeah you're you're not feeling great you missed our game uh last week as we released this uh episode and uh, i'll just say uh, we're gonna do at the end one of the am i the asshole type questions based on something that happened in that, uh, not in that game, after that game on Monday night that you missed. And I will, I haven't told you the story of what happened. So you'll get a live reaction and uh, we'll see what everybody else thinks uh, about uh, what happened after that game on Monday night. But before we get to that, we will talk about what we're here to talk about. And Scott, sometimes I like to not tell you what it is that we're talking about that i just come up with an idea and i say get on the stream and i'm going to hit the record button that's one of these times now i've never done this before do you have any idea what i could possibly want to talk about none sean none and these are fun for me too because i have zero prep to do so i can just hop on (laughs) and react yeah so i was walking home the other day and i was thinking as I often do of like, Oh, what could a fun episode idea be? What, what could we do? And then it occurred to me as I was walking across the bridge from Smythe street to main street over the Ottawa river, Scott, as I was yes. standing there, very cold. I was like, well, you know, something 10 years ago this week was the Canadian Olympic curling trials. And it occurred to me, Brad Jacobs is still around. EJ Harnden is now with Brad Gushu. Ryan Harnden is playing with Dunstone. Matt Dunstone, yeah. Ryan Fry is coaching the Italian men. So they're all all four of them are still part of curling at a high level in some capacity. Ryan Fry no longer playing. Mm-hmm. But I thought, wait a minute. Was 2013, let's revisit that. And now okay. in retrospect, let's talk about the rise of Brad Jacobs and that team. And I want to know, do we think that that was the peak of the team? And I mean the trials, not the Olympics. The trials was at the peak mm. of the team. So I want to go through that team's career together because it was kind of a meteoric rise. And what afterwards felt like a hard fall but it definitely was not a hard fall. 
Yeah. So I want to kind of see if we can put that team into some kind of a context on this 10th anniversary of them winning the Olympic trials. The final was on December the 8th, 2013. So really 10 years ago this week. So that's what I want to talk about, Scott. Cool. I, I like this idea of tracking the team. Yeah, it was. I was thinking, uh, when you said it's 10 years ago were the Olympic trials, I was like, what are you talking about? Oh, right. Yeah. We're in the <laughs> middle of a, an Olympic cycle just because the Olympics were, you know, changed a bit or, uh, the, the Tokyo threw me off the, right. the cycle, but, uh, yeah, no, that's a great idea. And I'm excited to hear this. I feel like they're my, my initial reaction is that, yeah, it was a, a meteoric rise basically since they brought Ryan Fry in was, was sort of their rise and then not a crash. It was like a slow glide path, like, like a Gimli glider, you know, (laughs) yeah, coming down nice and nice and easy. But uh, yeah, no, uh, I'm excited for this. All right. So let's get into a little bit and let's go back to not the beginning, but the, the first time that Brad Jacobs, was on a national stage. And that was at the 2005 Canadian Junior Championships where Brad Jacobs was skipping the Northern Ontario men's team. His team consisted of himself, Brady Barnett at third, Scott Seabrook at second, and Steve Molodowicz at lead. And this team went eight and four and the juniors and i'll be honest scott i don't know the junior format right now this is pre-pools so Mm -hmm. i I don't know now how the playoffs work off the top of my head i have to look but they finished eight and four to end up in fourth place at the time three-team playoff just semifinal, and that's when it tsn would show it those two semifinals on saturday and then the two finals on sunday with the men's and the women. So they finish fourth in that event. Scott, do you want to take any guess as to who won the 2005 men's Canadian junior championship? And I'll tell you what, if you get this without looking, I will yeah. cover your bar tab for the rest of the season. The rest of the season. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I have Brad Jacobs Wikipedia open, but nothing else. Okay. I, I'm not going to get it. Am I? I would be surprised. I would be very surprised. You'd be very surprised. Okay. Yeah. Oh. In fact, I would no, I would I'm... say that you're cheating if you get it. <clears throat> if I get it right. <laughs> yeah. Um I'm trying to think of people like around that same age. Okay. Um, I can tell you the, the champion did beat Mark Bice in the final. Okay. Okay. Uh Martin Kret. Uh, no, no, you are incorrect. I believe Martin Kret was already a men's champion at that point. Was he not? I don't think he was on that team. He wasn't on that one. team? Okay. So, uh, well, okay. But anyway, it's not him. It's Kyle George skipping the Saskatchewan team. <laughs> yeah. Why did you make me talk about it for two minutes uh, if I definitely wasn't going to get it? Yeah, because I thought that'd be fun. So uh, that is okay. Brad Jacobs' first appearance at a national event. That's good. I think eight and four, fourth place. That's, that is very good. And what's interesting, though, to me is that in – 2014, Ted Wyman wrote a book about curling in general, and and it profiles Jennifer Jones and Brad Jacobs. So he's profiling the two 
Olympic champions from 2014. And he interviewed Tom Coulterman in that book, who was around Sault Ste. Marie. That's where he was. And, and Jacobs is a self-described rink rat. And Tom Coulterman is quoted as saying that that team of Brad Jacobs was the best at their respective ages growing up. So 14, 15, 16, in that stretch that he had ever worked with and he had ever seen. Interestingly, though, Tom Coulterman is quoted in that book as saying the only team that was close to them in talent level was a team skipped by a young E.J. Harnden. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, of course, the story, I think most people will know that the Harndons are cousins with Brad Jacobs, so they are related. And they would hang out a lot at the curling club. Uh, They were all rink rats. They would go. They would hang out. They would run around. They would throw rocks. But they didn't start playing together until the men's level. At the junior level, they were all separate doing their own thing. The Harndons never made it to a Canadian juniors, but Jacobs did and had a really good result. So that's our first hint of this young guy coming out of the Sioux. Okay. I like it. To go from the 2005 juniors, we go to the 2007 Briar, where Brad Jacobs is playing with Al Harnden, who is skipping and throwing third. Jacobs is throwing the last stone. Dusty Yakame and our friend Lee Toner are rounding out that team. And that team goes five and six. This is back in the 12 teams, full round robin days of the Briar. As I say, they go five and six. The four playoff teams were the four playoff teams that you would expect for like that six-year stretch of the Briar. So Word Howard, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Ontario. No, you're uh, forgetting oh, Newfoundland. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, and you're maybe equating Scotties with Briar by saying Saskatchewan. <laughs> A slip of the tongue. Yeah, so we got Howard Gushu, Stoughton, and Martin are the playoff teams in that. But what's interesting, Scott, is they lose their first game. So Brad Jacobs' first game at the Briar that he ever plays, he loses in an extra end to Prince Edward Island, skipped by Peter Gallant. They lose 8-7 to seven in the second draw. So at that time, that would have been the Saturday night of the Briar, uh, the first day. They lose that game. But they go on to beat Kevin Martin the next day, the next afternoon. They beat him eight to four. So they were one and one and then ended up losing to Jeff Stoughton and Glenn Howard along the way. So there's a flash there that, okay, like he's throwing the last row and he goes toe to toe with Kevin Martin, which impressive to be able to do that for sure. But They also lose the rest of those games. As a team, they shot 77%, which is the second lowest of all the teams in that field. So that's his first Briar experience. Nothing terrible, but also nothing that's going to garner too, too much attention. Just that one sort of flash of, hey, they beat Kevin Martin. Yes. Hmm. Okay. So 2008, Brad Jacobs, not at the Briar. But this is our first time seeing the Harndons. So it's Eric Harndon, who is EJ and Ryan's dad. Fun little fact that I learned doing this, Scott. EJ is short for Eric Jr. Yeah, usually when there's a J, it's uh, Jr. (laughs) 
<laughs> so uh, so the dad, Eric, is throwing the skips rock. EJ is third. Ryan Harnden is second. And Caleb Flaxey is there as the lead. Jacobs is there as the alternate, which in the Curling Canada canon counts as an appearance in the Game of Stones canon. Doesn't as much count as, as an appearance. But they're there. 2008, that's the year Kevin Martin runs through everybody and yeah. goes undefeated all the way through. This team goes three and eight. So not as good of an appearance, but this is the Harndon's first time. So when we look at the principles of the Harndon Jacob's partnership, they're all there now. They have all had this experience at the Briar in 2007, 2008. Okay. So they've all been to, to this biggest stage. You said Brad was the alternate that year, right? Yes. Yes. Did he get in any games? Do you know? I do not know. I I, I would I say would probably assume. out of three and eight. Yeah. Yeah. When you're three and eight, probably. But uh, okay. So this is sort of the families together we're we're seeing them come to the national stage maybe what would we do if the old guys took a step back yeah and uh let the youngsters compete yeah so 2009 they don't qualify for the briar mike jacobo reps northern ontario so let's jump ahead to 2010 where you have the initial lineup kind of that we know from this team this is the first time they really have a stage on the national level as this team that you can recognize from the Olympics. So it's Brad Jacobs at skip EJ at third, Ryan at second, Caleb Flaxley throwing the lead stones. They go nine and two in that event. Scott, do you want to take a guess as to the two teams they might have lost to? And remember it's the 2010 Briar, not the 2011. Yes. Or it's the 2010 Briar. So it's, without kevin martin because of the olympics correct yeah so kevin cooey and yes. glenn howard correct so they lose to cooey and howard in the round robin those are their only two losses and fun little fact they finish second in the round robin so that gets them into the one two game and you'll never guess scott they did not make it into the final uh, do you want to know what what happened and, and how they didn't make it into the final out of the one, two game. I'd say they lost to Kevin or Kevin Cooey and Glenn Howard. Correct. So they lose to Glenn Howard in the one, two game, eight to six and lose 10 to three to Kevin Cooey in the, the semifinal and Jacobs in the playoffs shot 67%. So first time for him in the playoffs on that stage, he shoots a low percentage. All the other skips in the playoffs that year were in the mid 80s. So that's understandable to me. First time. They're still young at this point. They're all still mid 20s. So first time on that stage, he himself, Jacobs, doesn't perform particularly well in those games. But the 9-2 and two shows that this team has something. There is something there for them to build on. Yeah, absolutely. And Sean, do you remember what I remember the most about these teams early is EJ Harnden had like a wicked fishtail on yes. his slide. Yes. And I don't remember exactly when he he corrected it, but he had gotten so far throwing that way that, you know, uh, why change it? But I think it was around this time that he started 
working to correct that. If not, if not before the, the 2010 Briar, I, I, I can't remember, but uh, it's like quite a testament to, to see the delivery back then yeah. uh, versus the delivery now and how different they are. Uh, and yet just as effective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, well, I'd say it's more effective now. And he's a more consistent right. player now than he was then. And that was one of the yeah. things when we get to it, why there's a lineup change is in part because EJ with that fishtail that is not nearly as, I don't even think it's there anymore. No, made him a little inconsistent. Yeah. So after 2010, they get back to the Briar in 2011, but there is a lineup change. Caleb Flaxey is out. Scott Seabrook is in at the lead position. 2011, they go seven and four. That gets them fifth place in the Briar. They lose in that event to Kevin Martin, Brad Gushu, Jeff Stoughton. Scott, they beat Glenn Howard. Hmm. Who do you think that fourth loss was to? <clears throat> this is another one. If you get me, I'll cover your bar tab for a while. <laughs> In the 2011 Briar? Yeah. Jim Cotter. No, that's a good guess, though. I like that. Uh, they lost to Sean Adams out of Nova Scotia. Ah, Nova Scotia. Yes. Okay. So that's the loss that kind of keeps <clears throat> them out of the playoffs or out of a tie break is that loss to Sean mm-hmm. Adams. They did shoot 82% as a team for the week. That was the best of the non-playoff teams, which makes sense because they had the best record of the non-playoff teams. So it's a step back in terms of the round robin and in the overall shooting percentage. They were 84% the year before, but that is with a lineup change. And as you said, with EJ trying to work on the technical side of his game with the Mm -hmm. fishtail and trying to be a little more square coming out of the hack. Yeah, yeah. So... You know, a, a building year, right? Yeah. If, if this team's set up to tr- want to compete for that quad, for that Olympic berth, then uh, this is sort of the year to get all of the, that under your feet and then go hard for the next two. We go to 2012 at the Briar. This is where this lineup is clear that I think to them that something is going to need to change. They go five and six. In the 2012 Briar, they missed the playoffs. In the 11 games, they give up 12 steals. That's something that in the future you're not going to see from Brad Jacobs nearly as much, those those steal numbers. And as a team, again, they shot 82%, but the results just weren't there in 2012. So that's where we have the lineup change, where I don't think this is a reflection on Scott Seabrook. I'm sure he's a very nice person. I've never had the pleasure. But... They did need a change. And as you said, with those technical questions, maybe the position is in the back end. So 2013, Ryan Fry joins the team. Well, he joins in the fall of 2012, but we're going based on Briars here. So Fry joins the team. So who's Ryan Fry? Uh, At this point in 2013, he had played in five Briars already. Somewhat coincidentally, he debuted back in 2007, so the same year as Jacobs. They make their Briar debuts together, and he was the third for Jeff Stoughton. In 2009, he went out to Newfoundland and Labrador, played with Brad Gushu. He was the low man in the 3-4 game at the 2009 Briar, shot 73% in that game in the loss. The year after in 2010, again with Gushu, he was up at 88% in the 3-4 game loss. 
2011, again in the playoffs, Gushu lost the one, two and the semifinal shot 85% in the playoffs. So he was doing well there playing second with Gushu. And then of course, in 2012, Mark Nichols, again, summer 2011, but talking Briar terms, Mark Nichols, of course, moved to Manitoba to join mm-hmm. Jeff Stout. And I don't think that's why he moved to Manitoba, but when he moved to Manitoba, Jeff Stout was like, hey, Mark Nichols, Manitoba, this is great. You're pretty good at curling. Yeah. Come on over. Come on in. So that meant that Fry moved up to third in that team arrangement and the team goes backwards in terms of record at the briar they go five and six fry was fifth amongst the thirds in the 2012 briar in terms of shooting percentage but that mix just didn't work for whatever reason of gushu with fry in the house didn't last and that was it so 2012 the briar's done that's it they're done as a team and fry is now a free agent sean did you mention which other provinces Fry's played for? Well, we got Manitoba and Newfoundland to this point, and he's going to Northern Ontario. Right. Okay. And then so I that's guess where we are. He'll, eventually he'll get to Ontario, but we're not there yet. Yeah, we're not there yet. In the, okay. the, the tale of Ryan Fry. Yeah. Sorry. I was, I was trying to see, you can cut this if you want, but I was trying to see, I thought Scott Seabrick got like a, a, uh, a substance ban or something. No, uh, that was Matt Dumichel, uh, if I'm pronouncing okay. his last name right. So we're getting there? Well, I wasn't going to include that. But <laughs> okay. That did happen to this team, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, okay. That's fine. <laughs> so uh, so bat, let's get into 2013. So Fry's now on the team. This is their first full season together. At the Briar, they go eight and three, which is good for fourth place in the 2013 Briar. And this is actually the start of, I would argue, Scott, the inflated percentages at the Briar because all 12 teams at the 2013 Briar had cumulative shooting percentages over 80%. Yeah, that's that's not that's not true. Like just <laughs> Well, I mean, it, that, that's what the stats were. Like if you look up the stats, that's what it says. Yeah, but you're right. I, we we've long suspected a bit of inflation at the uh, at the national events when it comes to shooting percentages. So, yes, yeah, you don't you don't you're not going to see that at an event, just not. <laughs> yeah. So they're in fourth place. So they go into the three four game without the hammer. They're playing Brad Gushu, bit of a maybe a revenge game for Ryan Fry. They beat Brad Gushu six to five. Then go into the semifinal to play Glenn Howard, who lost the one-two game to Jeff Stoughton. They beat Glenn Howard, again, without starting with the hammer, 9-7. to seven. Mm-hmm. And then in the final, bit of a route over Jeff Stoughton, 11-4 to four to win. So they come out of that four spot to win the 2013 Briar. Scott, the previous two years, they had gone 12-10 and 10 at the Briar. I guess Jacobs had different lineup. Right. Then they come in 8-3, and three, run through the playoffs. So in 2013, they won as many games as they had the previous two Briars combined, if you include the playoffs. So this is a really impressive run for them. In the Canadian press story after the final, Kevin Martin called them up-and-comers, and that's because they were such 
young players having Ryan Fry and his experience and Ryan Fry's experience with Stoughton and Gushu, but maybe even more so Stoughton gives him, and he's a few years older than the rest of the guys, but that gives them that edge. That's kind of what pushed them over the top. The, the, the three together, really good, but Fry, who had learned from two of the best to ever do it, comes in and and that's what they needed. That was just sort of got them over that edge. And I would argue too, having those early playoff experiences or early playoff experience where yeah. they lose for Jacobs and then coming in and struggling the next two times, like understanding what it takes to win and then bring in Fry, the sort of the table was set for them to have a great week and win. And that's that's really what Kevin Martin is saying in that story after the final. Yeah, what what it is is like you say you've been able to go through the adversity on your own and then you bring a fresh perspective in that can help you sort of overcome that adversity, breath of fresh air, that yeah. kind of thing. So yeah, this is uh, definitely the key move for this team uh, is making that switch. And you know, all credit to the Harden boys for shifting down mm-hmm. and really sort really owning their positions, right? This yeah. is, I think it was in 2012, I was at the Briar and noticed that these guys were big yeah. and like strong. Yeah, yeah they're big. And, they're big dudes. And, yeah. You know, I think I, I was in the patch or something and somebody was talking about, oh yeah, they got off the plane and they just went right uh, to the gym at the hotel, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And so really like embracing that, uh, that physical side that had started, you know, 10 years earlier with Scott Pfeiffer and Marcel Rock and then uh, brought through Hebert and Kennedy and then uh, now the Harnden brothers, really taking that role, embracing it and advancing it and using it to help further the team. Yeah, and, and in this story, Fry is quoted as talking about that, that they wanted to be known as the fittest team. And so here, here's this yeah. quote, which I think is pretty fun. If a sponsor is looking at a team that's fat and out of shape, as opposed to a team that's fit and look like athletes, why wouldn't they want to put their money into our pockets instead of somebody else? For us, the business of curling is the brand you've got to create. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah. I mean, if you're like mean and boring, then maybe, <laughs> maybe not. But uh, yeah, if you're, if all things are equal, sure. A team that looks more athletic. Yeah you'd want to go with them. Yeah. So, so they make that part of what they're doing. They go to the world championship in 2013. They go seven and four at the world's. This is the page playoff. Scott, uh, at the world still, they beat Rashmus Sterna in the three, four game and then beat David Murdoch in the semifinal losing to a young upstart named Nicholas Adin in the final. So they get a world silver medal. Yeah, that was in Victoria, Sean. Uh, and so yeah. a lot of the people I played with there had volunteered at the event. Uh, it took place like a couple months before I moved there. So nice. yeah, uh, it's a memorable one for the folks in Victoria. All right, so let's get into the 2013 fall now. So this is, again, where I think their peak really happens. I think what often when people look back at the 2013 trials for Brad Jacobs, they didn't have an entry into it in September, right? As we entered the 2013-14 season, they hadn't booked their spot. That Briar win didn't get them 
the berth. So this was back in the days of CTRS points, and it was a smaller field than it is mm-hmm. now as well. So they didn't have points enough points to get the auto spot. So they had to go to the pre-trials, Scotty, in October. And the pre-trials field is pretty good. It's John Morris, Brad Gushu's there, Steve Laycock, Jean-Michel Menard, Rob, Rob Fowler, amongst others, some, some other names that you would recognize. But it's not a guarantee that they get through, even though they're the Briar, defending Briar champs. Right, right. Yeah, it's a strong field and you, you, you have to win, right? It was one yeah. berth? Two. Yeah, so two. Oh, two berths. Okay, it's still pretty hard. Yeah, so they get through. So the way it worked basically is that kind of like a page playoff where the first, the one-two game is a qualifier to get a spot. And then the semifinal is the qualifier for the second spot, essentially. Right, yeah. So they play Brad or John Moore, excuse me, in the first qualifier and lose that game. Beat right. Brad Gushu in the second qualifier. So, Scott, they are the final qualifiers for the 2013 Canadian Olympic trials. They're the ones that have to wear the orange shirts or whatever the <laughs> players deem as the worst shirts. Yeah. That's the ones that they get. Yes. So okay. we get to the 2013 Canadian Olympic trials. They're held in Winnipeg. Scott, do you remember what marked the first day or first day or two, the opening weekend of the 2013 Canadian Olympic trials? There was a big sort of media thing, social media type sponsorship eventy type thing that happened at the 2013 trials. Do you have any recollection of it? I don't, no. No recollection. All right, well, this is when a certain San Diego newscaster made his way to Winnipeg to promote his biopic his biopic. Uh, oh, Ron yeah. Burgundy. <laughs> yes. So uh, Will Farrow was there in character as Ron Burgundy. Scott, I went and found the Curling Canada preview of the Ooh. 2013 Canadian Olympic trials. I Again, like it. Brad Jacobs. Yes, they're the last entry in, but he is the defending Canadian champion. Yeah. Ron Burgundy is mentioned three times as many. Uh, times in the <laughs> curling Canada preview of the event than Brad Jacobs. Brad Jacobs is only mentioned once. So they're talking about the field and it's sort of the end of a sentence. And it says not to mention reigning Tim Hortons, Briar champion, Brad Jacobs of Sault Ste. Marie, who along with Morris. So they've already mentioned John Morris, which, okay, fair enough. He's, he won the gold medal at the last Olympics yeah. qualified for the trials out of the capital one road to the roar pre-trials. That's his only mention in the preview. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, not a lot of respect, eh? No. So uh, to me, that gives a sense of, all right, so the expectations coming into this are not particularly high for them. But when you look at the field, Scott, I I think it's kind of an interesting moment where there's this changing of the guard. So the field is obviously Brad Jacobs, John Morris, is there with Jim Carter throwing forth. John Epping with Scott Bailey, Colin Mitchell, Dave Mathers. Mike McEwen, that team that we saw for a few years together with the Newfelds and Matt Wozniak. Kevin Cooey's there with Simmons at third, Rycroft and Thiessen, that they're going to go on to win the Briar uh, in, the, in the spring. Yeah. 
John, uh, Jeff Stoughton with John Mead, Reed Carruthers, Mark Nichols. Uh, that's a pretty good team. I would argue that, I mean, John Mead was great. Uh, Mark Nichols, uh, maybe, maybe not in the right lineup spot there. Uh, and then Glenn Howard with Madal Lang and Saville. And Martin is there, Kennedy Hebert. But this is when Dave Nedowin was playing third. So this is kind of a, a changing of the guard moment that Howard does yeah. very poorly this week. Martin and Nedwin never really quite hit it off. It's sort of the tail end of Stoughton a little bit. It's the start of Cooey, even though Cooey had been playing at a very high level for 10 years. He just could never get out of Alberta uh, because yeah. of how strong Alberta was. And it, it's this moment where, not, and this isn't to take anything away from Jacobs and his team, but there's like, and maybe it's because of them that there's this change into the guard, but it almost feels like in retrospect, there was this soft spot or this power vacuum in the men's mm. side that they really filled in obviously quite nicely. Yeah. Like Kevin Martin and uh, Glenn Howard would have been like late forties by this point. Right. Uh, and sort of their apex was the quad before. Yeah. Uh, certainly we saw them playing in the finals, having all those great battles against each other. Um, I do remember that uh, Glenn Howard's week was, was very disappointing from their perspective, you know, having been such a high contender uh, for so long, but it was Richard Hart had left. So, you know, they were plugging the hole with Wayne Mada, another older skip or older player at that time. And yeah, Jeff Stoughton, same thing, you know, towards the end of his career uh, in men's play. So yeah. And then Mike McEwen's team, like you say, coming in and Brad Jacobs, uh, really representing the younger set at this event yeah. and John Epping too. Yeah. So Scott, they go in and they just run the table. They go seven and zero through the round Robin, but here's what I would say. Actually, maybe the peak of the, the entire run is for them. It's the Thursday night of the trials. They're playing Kevin Martin in draw 13. Both teams are undefeated. They are both 5-0 and going into this game. There's one draw left for the men. So, uh, so this is it. Or maybe it's Thursday afternoon. I can't remember. But it's the second to last draw for the men. They're playing each other. Because of the way the other losses had set up, winner is into the final. The last draw okay. for whoever wins, last draw doesn't matter. So this is a game to get into the final because, of course, at the trials, only three teams get in. And they're in the 10th end. Jacobs has the hammer. And he's down four to three. He has one. He can throw it away, go to the extra end. But instead, he tries, let's see, how many runs is this? Like a triple run? So there's a center guard. So they're yellow, and it's a yellow center guard. He throws about a control weight shot, and he runs it into a red in the top eight foot that runs into a yellow at the top of the button to push out a red stone that is frozen to that yellow stone, pushes it out, and they score two. And this is that really famous shot where they all go nuts. The, the team's going boncos. This is where... Yeah. I think we started saying Hulk smash for this team. Like they're, they're all going crazy. Like the initial one you see is fry because of the overhead. He's going bonkos. Yeah. All of them are there. Yell, they're, they're all jacked up and going, they shake hands. And that's when Jacobs goes back to get his gripper halfway up the ice. 
and he does the come on like to the crowd and is like getting them hyped up like he he sort of throws his hands up gets people going and the people in winnipeg are in like he's got this crowd like they're getting up they're going bananas and it's this really cool moment where he just made it into the trial finals olympic trial finals yeah but, but then he's he's also sort of again with the change of the guard martin for as brash as martin had been or can be he never really did that if you remember glenn howard's great shot that he made that uh, we reference quite frequently on the show like there's a, a big fist pump in that but he's he's almost more stunned that he makes it like this is brad <laughs> jacobs kind of like a wwe wrestler like getting the crowd psyched and jacked up or like when football players like run to the like lambo leap yeah. sort of thing like he's playing to the crowd in a way that i don't think i had ever seen at a curling event before no not not really i think you know john morris maybe had some shades of you know playing to the crowd but these these guys were like really hyped and yeah like you say wwe style what, what are they called face a face yeah. if you're a good a face, guy yeah yeah maybe he'll make his heel turn four years later but we'll get there i guess right yeah i don't know if it'll even take four years to get that heel turn okay okay yeah but yeah i think this obviously his career is not over he's playing now with reed carruthers but to this point in his career i would say this is the best shot or the biggest shot of his career this is kind of like the robbie alomar with the most important home run in blue jay history sort of thing like yes there's mm-hmm. another home run that wins the world series but you can make the case that without the alomar home run they don't get there same thing with this like you could take all of his shots at the olympics but i don't think he has a signature shot there the way this is a signature shot that's no. going to run forever on best of curling lineups like th- this shot has to be there yeah i agree i agree scott yes what do we use to record this fine audio program? Well, Sean, we always use Zencaster, my favorite podcast recording platform. Yeah, me too. I really like Zencaster. We started using it a few years ago, I think start of the pandemic. Actually, Ryan uh, from Rocks Across the Bond turned us on to Zencaster because we were using Skype and recording on Skype, which presented editing issues because you get the whole Skype call, not just what you want to record, what you want to have on your show. The audio is not as good because with Zencaster, you're getting the input from each person. Whereas on a, like a Skype record, you were getting the, the one person side of it. So it didn't always sound great. So we love Zencaster. We've been using it for years. It gives us the video when we've done video, it gives us the audio, really good quality, really easy to edit, gives you post-production quality as well. Scott, by far the best recording stuff that we have used. And that's the truth. Yes. So we are part of the Zencaster family of shows and stuff, and we're very excited to invite you to try out Zencaster if you want to start your own show. Zencaster.com slash pricing, and you can use our promo code to get a 30% discount from your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. Scott, our offer code might surprise you. It's 
what's old is news, all one word. This is a joint deal because I also have the history podcast that is called What's Old is News. I use Zencaster for that show as well. And if you go back and listen to some of my early episodes, like early, early episodes, like 2013, 14 range, you can really tell the difference that Zencaster has made in the overall quality. So again, Zencaster.com slash pricing. Use what's old is news in the offer code 30% off any paid Zencaster plan. Again, Zencaster.com slash pricing. What's old is news if you want to sound great on your own show. I'm heading there now, Sean. So they go into the final and Kevin Martin loses to John Morris in the semifinal. That's the only loss that Kevin Martin had in the round robin. Loses to John Morris in the final. Brad Jacobs wins seven to four. They were tied at three in the break, and then they take over in the second half. All four of the guys are in the 90s in that game. So they are representing Canada after getting second billing to Ron Burgundy in the preview. Uh, They go to the Olympic Games and go not, excuse me, seven and two in the round robin. They lose to Nicodine and Sven Michel from Switzerland. That puts them in seven, or excuse me, second place through the round robin. They beat China and uh, Rui Liu in the semifinal 10 to six. And then Scott, do you remember who they beat in the final? Well, it wasn't Nicodine, right? It was not Nicodine, no. No. Was it? Uh, Norway? It was not. It was, uh, no. You just keep naming. Co- no, I just name all the countries. <laughs> One day I'll get there. <laughs> so it was actually Great Britain and David Murdoch. Uh, uh, David so, Murdoch, right? Yeah. So they beat him nine to three in the finals. What's interesting, though, if you look at their line scores through the course of the week, they beat China in the round robin 9-8. They beat Denmark 7-6. They beat Germany 11-8. So they're playing close games against teams that you wouldn't necessarily expect them to. Lost a one-point game to Switzerland, a one-point game against Sweden as well. The two losses are only by a point, but they beat the Americans 8-6. So they played tight games actually all the way through the week. So I think there's this perception of domination at the Olympics but the domination yeah. was at the trials. At the Olympics, they obviously performed really well and they lose in two games, but they were in a lot of close games. This wasn't like Jennifer Jones at the Olympics kind Ran of it. like just, just jumped on everyone's neck as, as she went yes. through the event. Jacobs, they had nip and tuck games and they had to, not that Jennifer Jones didn't have to work for her, her games, but you know, they played a lot more 10th ends than the Canadian women did at right. this event. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, as you're going through it, I was like, oh, yeah. And then they also ran the table at the Olympics, right? And oh, no. Yeah, I, I didn't remember that. I was thinking of the dominance of Jennifer Jones and just assumed that both were that dominant, given that they both won gold medals. Yeah. So coming out of the 2014 Olympic Games, they, of course, are the gold medalist. And I think there's this expectation because they're all young still, right? Brad Jacobs to this right. point, he's not 30, he's 29. Uh, he's born in 1985 and the Hardens are around the same age. So like you would expect that they're going to go on this run and they're going to parlay this into certainly another cycle. And there was a thought though, that because of the familial relationship that there'd be multiple cycles, right? And, and they're, right. and they talked about how Fry was 
sort of extended family now and, and that they had all gotten really close. And I think that's still true to like, I, I don't think there's ever been a real falling out amongst the guys, but there's this notion as we go into the summer of 2014, that these guys in this lineup are not only going to be around for a long time, but are going to be dominant for a long time. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I guess we'll get to it. They kind of were uh, around, but, the, but not the dominant force that you saw, you know, like Brad Gushu the last five or six years or uh, the Furby four back in the day or the, uh, the Kevin Martin era yeah. in the late 2010s, right? Not yeah. to the same extent uh, as dominant, but they were around and are still in their own ways. Yeah. So just they, not of course, together. So not together. Yeah. So of course they do not play in the 2014 Briar, which uh, was typical, but we'll see what happens in 2026 if people want to pull the Gushu and, uh, yeah. and try and play in it. But they don't play in the 2014 Briar. Of course, Kevin Cooey wins that. And then it's the 2015 Briar. Scott, this is where the heel turn, I think, happens a little bit for some people of this mm-hmm. team. And it's a game against. Ontario, which is skipped by Mark Keane this year, and a young Matt, Cam, a very young Matt Cam, is playing for Mark Keane. And there's a moment where one of the Harndons, after Matt throws, they tap him with their broom. Yeah, and they're signaling that, hey, we think you're keeping your hand or your knee on the ice too long. Like, don't do that. It's just a reminder, but. I think a couple things hurt them in this moment. One, it was the TV game. So it was featured. So you saw it mm-hmm. and just the, you know how they cut away real quick. Like they let the person throw, keep it on for a second after they throw it. And, then, yeah. and so you see the tap and then the cutaway, right? So you don't really see the okay. reaction. And I don't really know what Matt Cam did. If Matt Cam turned around, and was like, what the hell? Or if, uh, or if he did like a Joel Ray Turnaz when, I don't know if you saw this a couple of weeks ago and, Return as makes a good shot. Hebert hit his broom and return as was like, yeah, yeah, I did that. Like, so, so like, I don't know what the reaction was, but I don't think it helped that you didn't see what Matt Cam's reaction was in that mm-hmm. moment. And Brian Cochran, who is the coach of that team, uh, apparently, according to the story, complained to the officials after the game. Uh, the Jacobs team and the Keen team met in the locker room after the game and apologized. But it wasn't until the next day, just because of the nature of when they could talk to the media, that they spoke to the media. And this is, you know, maybe peak Twitter. Maybe. I don't know. Twitter is is not peak now. We're certainly well past the apex of it. But this is mm-hmm. so so overnight there's a lot going on and there's a lot of commentary about was this correct? Like if you if you think someone's putting their hand on the ice, you probably better serve to say, Oh, like hey, like just be careful. Uh, so like it was the, yeah. the tapping of, of the broom that wasn't great. And the next day, uh, Jacobs came out and said that they had apologized. Uh, his quote was, it's something we're trying to put behind us. It's definitely not something we would ever intentionally try to do, intimidate a player or anything like that. I remember thinking that that statement, statement was kind of lacking in the moment. And in reading the story back this week, I still kind of feel that way. Like, you're the Olympic champion. You are the face of curling for a lot of people at this point. And I do think that the the elite level has a certain level of responsibility to the rec level to kind of set a standard of 
what the etiquette is and hitting another player with your broom, even a light tap on the, on the foot. I, I don't think that's okay. And not something that I would want to see replicated in a curling sensor anywhere. So if he had just come out and said, Hey, we shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. And we apologized. Then that, I think that would have been it. But I remember the statement, not really being all that satisfying to me. And it felt like he lost some segment of the curling fans after that. Yeah, that's fair. You're right. You'd, especially when you're the top, the the sort of top team, the top dog, you don't want to do anything that's seen as like intimidating or making making the other team feel less than, uh, yeah. which is might have been the case there. Uh, and yeah, it's one of those things that you just say, hey, hey Matt, your hand was on the ice there a little too yeah. long. Pick it up. Yeah, because I, I remember in the, the 2009 Olympic trial final, John Morris, I think, and, and unintentionally, was walking uh, behind the sheet on one of Glenn Howard's shots early in the game. Like they're going for a blank or something. And the cameras caught this, that after the yeah. shot, in between ends, Glenn just went over to John and said, hey, John, just heads like, yeah, I, while I was throwing, you were just moving. Or he said something like that. Or he's like, oh, just be careful. And yeah. John was like, oh, sorry. And that's it. And then it goes away. And that's the end of it, right? Yeah. If he had come over yeah, exactly. and taken his broom and been like, hey, meh, meh, stop it. <laughs> like, right. Right. It's a whole different thing. So, yeah. And, and there is a segment of the curling fandom that never liked him because of the, like, yeah, come on. Like, the there's a certain on. segment that yeah. never liked that. Like, we, we should acknowledge that. But I think that hurt. And then, uh, that so that happened on Monday of the briar the statement came out tuesday and then on sunday pat simmons put his broom into the rafters the rafters <laughs> like so that's that that's that event so they make yeah. it to the final of the 15 briars pat simmons does his thing my favorite shot of all time after they beat gushu in the semifinal what's interesting scott is that's the last time that they get to a Briar final or really let's set aside the slams. Let's say like a a major final as a team. So this loss to Simmons in 2015 is the first of eight consecutive playoff losses at the Briar. If you don't include the 2016 bronze medal game, which they won. And since uh, the bronze medal game is dearly departed, I'm not going to include it in this. I'm going to say eight straight playoff losses at the Briar. So they lose the 2015 final. They lose the one, two game and the semi in 2016, the one, two game and the semifinal in 2017, the three, four game in 2018 and the one, two and semifinal game in 2019. So they go on a long losing streak uh, through the rest of their time together. They don't win, again, excluding the 2016 bronze medal game, another playoff game at the Briar following the Pat Simmons shot. What is what is so remarkable about that to me is that you have to get to the playoffs to lose them. It's like the yeah. Buffalo Bills losing four Super Bowls, right? Like That's what they're remembered for, for losing them. But people forget that it's like a pretty incredible accomplishment to get to four Super Bowls. Yeah. And it's a pretty incredible accomplishment to get to the playoffs at the Briar for what is that? Uh taking out 2014. That's like seven straight years. 
Yeah, something like that. Yeah. It's a yeah, crime. like it's that's very remarkable. It, it doesn't. It, it, I would say it doesn't happen a lot, but it has. But it, all those teams are really good, which is yeah. a, a testament to why they get there all the time. So they have that run. And yeah, as you say, like getting there is impressive, but you remember the losses in the playoffs. Yeah. And then in the fall of 2018, the Chris Schilly, Ryan Fry incident happens that they get ejected from an event conflicting reports but the consensus of the stories and what everyone seems to have agreed on is that they were overserved or overconsumed if you will and uh and were ejected from that event fry does not play in the 2018 canada cup because of that he was on leave from the team and then in 2019 fry's gone and that's the end of that team. So he goes to John Epping. The other three continue to play together. This is when Mark Kennedy comes in. But Scott, I think the the tale of Team Jacobs after the Olympics in 2014 is something that comes up in sports all the time, is that you can't take anything as a fan. And I'm not saying that the guys did this at all. But as a fan, you can't take anything for granted because as i said you would have come into the summer of 2014 being like these guys are going to be a force for a long time and again mm-hmm. yeah they make those briar playoffs they do win so, uh, some slams along the way but they never reach those heights again which you would have assumed so again as a fan just never take anything for granted yeah sean um you're talking to somebody here who would have thought the buffalo bills might make the playoffs <laughs> before the year started but uh no it's it's uh it's true it's one of those things that in if this team was from another country we would see them at the world championships all the time right all the time they would have won multiples i think i think so and because they're not they you know they have to play to get there against a tougher competition and weren't able to get back to that uh, that height, I think, is there some kind of myth about, you know, the myth of somebody walking up the mountain and then always like falling and then having to get up and do it again. That's the pushing the boulder, right? Yeah. Sisyphus pushing the boulder. Yep. Imagine how much more difficult it would be if the first time he had got it to the top and then could never get there again. Like that's compounding the frustration of, yep. of having to do that. Right. So at the same time, great team. Yeah. One, one of the best of the era, but that's sort of the standard by which they're judged through the lens of history will be their performance in those national championships and then uh, their inability to get to the world stage. Yeah, I, I really the only team, the only thing missing for the team was a world championship gold medal. Yeah. And they only got there once with the one Briar. And you could kind of see because we were there in 2017 for the trials that the previous four years, I think the pressure that they put on themselves as the defending champions, plus the losses at the Briar and not getting over that hump again, really compounded that week where Brad Jacobs, after missing a draw, he, he threw one through, wide open draw for, yeah. it was either facing two or to score a second point. I can't, but it was a wide open house and he pitched it through and he went back to the scoreboard, grabbed his gripper and kind of beat the hell out of it for 
five yeah. or 10 seconds. And I was in the scrum with him after their last game. And you could see he, he looked like a different person. He was so relaxed in that scrum. Like yeah. it was almost like a relief that this is over, that they're no longer the defending Olympic champions, that it's over. Like this, the, the pressure that they, I think, had put on themselves and the expectations that they had of themselves and not meeting those expectations really took a toll on the ice. I can't speak for anything else, but on the ice in yeah. that event in Ottawa, I think really took a toll on them. And when he came off, I mean, he was sad that they hadn't one but at that point they had already been eliminated from eliminated. from the event but he was almost giddy that it was over it was like all right like i can just go i can put my feet up yeah and that's when we started to see i think maybe my favorite version of brad jacobs which has been they're talking about a shot and he's like all right all right all right all right let's just think this through <laughs> like yeah. uh, that is my favorite version of brad jacobs when he does that like yeah i, I don't know why and then he just says, makes me laugh he says, okay, if we do this, then they're going to do this. And then, yeah. And he like really says everything out loud. It's, it's yeah. nice to watch because as a fan, you want to be able to say, oh, okay, that's their thought process. And he really yeah. does lay it out there. So it's, it's good. Yeah. He's, and, he's like and, the narrator of the, of the game for yeah. him. And it, then bringing in um, Mark Kennedy, we talked about it when it happened. That's how long our show's been a show. That like Mark Kennedy, one of the best throwers in the world, uh, is only going to help the team. And they came, he came with them to that Canada Cup that Fry missed and they won it. Yeah. And we were like, oh, okay, now this will be the new, like best team. Right. Best version of the team. And it wasn't. No. Like they, they didn't really win anything after that with him. I mean, it wasn't, they weren't bad by any means. I mean, they did play. Oh, no. They did play in the final of the trials in 2021. They lost to Kui. Yeah. Like they, they were in the, they, they, they were a game away from going back to the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I mean, they were again, like excellent. Yeah. <laughs> for that, that whole stretch. Um, just not quite getting over that, uh, over that final hump. Yeah. So that's the tale of Team Jacobs, which I think is really interesting here on the 10th anniversary of that just incredible week in Winnipeg, mm -hmm. not only for them. I mean, we didn't talk about anything that happened on the women's side where hometown Jennifer Jones uh, goes on a run of her own. Like Winnipeg, I, I think that probably is the best trials ever in terms yeah. of the the unbelievable performance of Brad Jacobs coupled with Jennifer Jones, who had had a heel turn of her own uh, a year or two before, but she's in her hometown and they, all the support that they get like that Winnipeg trials was just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's a smaller arena too. Yeah. That downtown arena Yeah, compared to what it was in Ottawa or uh, maybe in when Saskatchewan and in Saskatoon, it's a similar size, but uh, yeah, that's kind of nice. Uh, and and Sean, they announced was it this week, or last week, two weeks ago? Recently, yeah. Remember, Halifax, Halifax is going to get the next yeah. trials, which will be a lot of fun. That's uh, that's a fun city to be in uh, when yeah. there's an event like that. There are rinks right there uh, downtown. So who knows? Maybe we'll maybe we'll have to book a book a suite at the residence in Sean. Who knows? There you go. Yeah, just uh, two years away. 
the uh, the twenty twenty five trials. So yeah. Scott, that is the tale of Team Jacobs. I would contend that ten years ago, this week was their apex, was the pinnacle of those four guys as a team. Again, not to take away anything yeah. from the Olympics, they won an Olympic gold medal. But that week to run through an Olympic trials field, even as we said, if it's a moment of transition for Canadian men's curling to run through undefeated in the way they did with the big shots, with the the power sweeping, with the playing to the crowd, with being underestimated, all of that comes together in just this really cool week for them that looking back on it 10 years later, there's some what ifs with them as a team, but I don't think there's another comparable team out there on the Canadian side. I look through some Briar that I look through the Briar results yeah. I, I don't think we had anybody who for that period of time was in contention and, and having really strong results who had this really peak moment and then still had sustained success, but never got quite back to that peak. And like, I, I think that that team mm. is just very unique in the history of Canadian men's curling. And so I thought it was a good chance to look back on when that peak I would argue was. Yeah, no, that's, that, that was a nice journey, Sean. I'd like to think back. I, I I want this team, you know, if they hear this, to think back about sort of the good, like how good it felt for the nation in 2014. They were, they sort of were our breath of fresh air from curling. And uh, part of the double gold in Sochi, which was really the pinnacle of Canadian Olympic curling, if we look at the results since then. Yeah. And you know what? The fact that they didn't get back there, that's fine. They yeah. did it, right? You never take that away. Flags fly forever. And yeah. uh, this team should be really proud of that accomplishment, but also what they put together in the ensuing years, while not quite at the same height. Uh, still an excellent, excellent, excellent run of curling uh, as a foursome and still doing it, you know, individually on different teams right now. So. Yeah. One of the greats and good idea, Sean. Thanks for this. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening, everybody. We'll have story time in a minute. But first, do head on over to GameofStonesPod.com. All of our past episodes are there. Merch tab. Uh, check it all out. Uh, the deadline, if you want stuff for Christmas, is soon-ish. If It might have already passed, to be honest. But there's, if you want something, head on over to GameofStonesPod.com. Dot com subscribe wherever you get your pods likes rates comments all that good stuff game of stones pod on the socials game of stones podcast on facebook and if you want to let us know what you want to hear on the show game of stones podcast at gmail.com scott all right let's get into we'll, we'll do this fast because that took longer than i thought it would but it was fun to do that yeah so yeah monday night okay. you were not there we were playing a team all nice guys i will say that all nice guys yeah we played multiple ends that took 25 minutes so i will admit that i am a little fanatical about pace of play that i feel like just put the broom down and throw we're not winning world championships here just put the broom down and throw and in the second end they're third on his first shot so in total, it were I think it was the twenty fifth shot of the game. Uh, he went down to like look at stuff, and 
in my head, I was like, oh, they just won the game. Cause I was, cause I was already, were, I was very, we were, I was, you know, I already felt that the first end took a long time and I was like feeling the slowness. And then I was like, all right, like I'm, I'm very upset now. So the pace of play was very slow throughout the course of the game and they win the game. I would say in part because I was throwing three rocks, the three middle rocks as we were playing with three. And, uh, when I get upset about pace of play, I don't make shots. So if you're ever playing me and you want to beat me, play really slow and you will beat yep. me a hundred percent of the time. So anyway, we, we get there and just after the game, we're sitting down just by happenstance. The Ottawa Senators game was on and the Senators had challenged a goal that the Florida Panthers had scored. And the review took about five minutes. And someone commented that, man, like when there's these long breaks, these reviews, like it really just takes the flow out of the game. And then I said, kind of feels like the game we just played. And that started a lengthy discussion because one of them said to me, oh, I thought we played at a good pace. And that's where I got kind of, kind of miffed. Like... (laughs) We, we played really like the, the seventh end took 10 minutes to play because it was just open. The game was really over at that point. So it didn't take long, the, the seventh end. But we played seven ends in an hour and 42 or three minutes, including a very fast 10th end. So we played five ends in an hour and a half, which I think is way too long. And, and I get annoyed by that. So and it's not just the, the time. It's sort of what occupies the time like contrary to popular belief i'm relatively okay with some discussion what really kills me is if the front end is yelling down on every shot on strategy and if your rock's not ready to go so if you have that 45 second discussion and then you go through your whole like clean the rock routine because that's where i think you actually lose the time so we engaged in i felt a congenial enough discussion where I said like that, that was a slow pace game. So slow pace game, my level of frustration. And I think I actually used the word anger was directed at when we play slow and at those little things. And like, why can't we just put the broom down and go and that I don't like playing those slow games. And, I did get a little obnoxious at one point. Like one of the other guys on the other team was making the comparison to golf. And he said, you know, some guys go out and just, they take their time and are really slow. Other guys just like to, you know, grip it and rip it. And, you know, there's, you know, there's no right way. There's no necessarily a right way. And I said, no, there's definitely a right way (laughs) to play. And so, so we went back and forth a little bit on it. They certainly did not agree with my assessment. Obviously I did not agree with their assessment that we played at a good pace, I will say for context, they played a two and a half hour eight end game the week before that they talked about, and yet somehow yes. didn't think that they were slow. So maybe I was a little obnoxious. And by maybe, I mean, I was definitely a little obnoxious. And I'll tell you, the table cleared out pretty fast. Uh, yeah. So I, I felt mildly bad, more so for Jesse, who is our third, who is skipping, who he 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 said at one point, yeah, I'm admittedly really slow. And there was a lot of discussion on our end, or really with Jesse 
in the house. Uh, he was down there with Steph and we didn't give him much because I kept missing all my shots. So he, uh, he right. didn't really have anything to throw at. So I, I felt a little bad in that regard, but after everybody left, it was just me and Steph. And I, I said like, Hey, it, I, I hope that wasn't too much, but also that's the time to do it. Right? Like I can't do it after we win. If, if we had beat them, I can't be like, Hey, like we beat you also pick up the pace. But I feel like I, after we lose, I can say, Hey, pick up the pace. So that's what I happened. Think, I think, am so. I the, am okay. I, am I the asshole in that scenario? Well, Sean, you know me and I, I agree with you that the pace of play uh, needs to be quick. Uh, I'm not always as good at, at it as the skip as I was, I think as a front end player. Right. But that's because I like the front end players should be ready to go. Right. And it's not rocket surgery that we're doing here to, if, if it's an easy call, make the call and then, and then throw it. Yeah. It's when, when it's like, Oh, should we draw or should we guard or like these kind of things? And it's back and forth and back and forth or somebody, walks up and taps the ice and then walks back yeah. to the the T line to put the broom down that that kind of stuff we don't need that i think you're right that's the only time that you're going to be able to do it that you're going to be able right. to bring this up there's been emails from the league convener and from the club manager yeah to to Pick the teams the saying hey pace of play is a problem and yeah. if you don't tell people when they're when they're being slow, they'll never think that they're slow. Right. Maybe when they only play seven end games all year, they'll realize that they're slow, but then they'll say, Oh, the other team's slow. Yeah. And, and that's sort of what, a kicker for me always is that, and this happened on Monday that at one point they said, you know, like no one ever gets in eight ends in the early game. And this is one of the reasons I'd now track how many ends I play because 90% of the time I either play eight ends at an early draw or are, I'm on pace to play eight ends and we shake early, yeah. usually because we're getting tuned. Like I, I pay attention to that. So I know I know it's possible. And when people say, oh, no one does yeah. it. Well, no, like t- the two teams I'm on can do it regularly. So yeah, we do it. If, if you're saying that everybody else is slow and therefore games aren't getting done, like maybe you're the slow one because I'm getting yeah. them done when I'm not playing against you. So... Uh, so I, I don't know. And, and I, I, I have all the patience in the world for new players. If you're new yes. to the game and you need extra time to get in the hack properly or learn or whatever it is, or when you play players with mobility issues who, who take a little longer, they need time to just get that secure. Like that's no, no problem. Uh, and no, and it came up on, on Monday as well. If you're over the age of 80, take all the time you want do your thing. I'm fine. But yeah. if you're an experienced player, this is an, an experienced league. I feel like if it's two experienced teams and you kind of know what the skip is going to call that the first eight rocks. So all the front end rocks. So all eight of those should be done in five minutes. Yeah. And that yeah. gives you 10 Easily, minutes for the less. next eight. Yeah. So, and that yeah, gives you the sure. time and like, and, and like little things. And I said, well, yeah, like before the other team's rock is come to a, a stop, you should have yours cleaned, ready to go. And 
one of theirs guys, this is maybe when I got a little obnoxious, like the most obnoxious. He said, well, you know, you got to clean it again because it'll like freeze to the ice again. And I'm like, how long? Like it, what? How long no, are you, you t- like, you should be talking long enough that it sort of gets sticky to the ice again. And if that's an issue, just when you clean it, just give a little spin, a little, yeah. a little spinny spin. So that's what happened on Monday. I felt mildly bad, but not too, too bad because we lost and thought I should raise it. I did feel bad for Jesse, but yeah, you know, it is what it is. Did he, did you talk to him about it or no? No, he was part of the exodus. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So we'll see him in a couple of weeks. We're all taking off. Uh, we're, I think we're all leaving the country or at least leaving Ottawa, all four of us. Yeah. So it'll yeah. be, uh, it'll be a minute before we all, we're not all going together to various places, but we're all going, uh, <laughs> elsewhere so uh, three of us are leaving the continent for sure so it'll uh yeah it'll be a, a minute before we see each other so maybe i'll put uh this episode in our group chat and say hey like i'll put the timestamp when we start to talk about this sounds good <laughs> say, yeah. like, hey uh, i get it well you know it's uh it's okay sean we might uh we might end up in the c division but that's okay yeah it sets we'll, us up better for we'll bar bucks in the last draw yeah Exactly. Exactly. And that's what matters. Yeah. So, uh, so there you go. So that's, uh, my little pet peeve is, is slow play and a bit of an awkward uh, post game after on Monday night, but, uh, there you go. So that's that. I hope you enjoyed that little story time. Hope you enjoyed the episode overall. That was fun to put together. So thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll be back with you again very soon, but until then keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final...